0: Welcome to Basic Brewing Radio for Thursday, August 18th. I'm James Spencer. Here at Basic Brewing Radio, we're all about home brewing, making beer at home. Well, as you probably know, there are four main ingredients to beer. Water, hops, yeast, and malt, or malt extract. Well, today, we take a long look at malt and the malting process. What does it take to get grain, like barley or wheat, ready to use in brewing? And what are specialty malts, and how are they different from base malts, and what are they? Well, to let us in on the details of the malting process, we've asked an expert to join us, Bob Hansen, Technical Services Manager of Brees Malt and Ingredients Company. We get into quite a bit of detail with Bob, because we at Basic Brewing Radio believe that knowing what our ingredients are and how they are made will help us to become better brewers, If we know more about the process that creates a specialty malt, for example, we'll have a better idea of the flavors that malt will give our beer. We started our interview with Bob Hansen with the most basic question we could think of. What is malt?
1: Malt uh, is simply um, a product of the uh, malting process uh, in its simplest form. and Many people have different terms for what they think is malt, but technically that's, uh, that's what malt is. Malting is a process that takes a seed uh, and produces a malted seed. Now, most people think of uh, malt in terms of malted barley, which is the most uh, popular malted grain in the world by far, but uh, most craft brewers also know that uh, many types of seeds can be malted and are familiar with uh, wheat malt and rye malt. And maybe a few of them have worked with uh, other exotic malted grains such as spelt or triticale, uh, but basically uh, malt is a, a seed that has gone through the malting process and is normally, uh, commonly referred to for barley.
0: And in, in malting, you're essentially, you're kind of tricking the seed into thinking that it's going to sprout and turn into a plant, right?
1: Well, um, yes and no. You're not really tricking the seed. It, it actually is. Um, it, the, the first step of the process is germination, and the seed uh, begins to sprout and uh, starts to grow. Uh, you know, a root and a shoot, just like it were uh, in the ground. It's kind of uh, old-world hydroponics, if you want to think about it that way.
0: And and what happens? Uh, so you get the you get the. Uh the barley or, or the grain that you're malting wet, right, and, and start that germination process. What happens inside that grain during this uh, germination process?
1: Well, um, initially, as you mentioned, you get the seed in, and it may be at a, uh, it always is, to be stable in the field, it's dried down to a certain moisture content, where it is you know, a stable seed that won't grow in the farmer's silo. So when we get it, it's a stable, dry seed, just like you would use for, for planting almost. And it's typically about 8 uh, to 12% moisture. Then that seed is first soaked in water. Um, and that allows, so the first thing that happens is the seed absorbs a lot of water. It gets up to about a 40% moisture content. And that, when it gets to that content, the seed, uh, its growth is triggered and uh, it begins to grow the barrier between the uh embryo and the endosperm is broken over broken open and the seed rapidly begins to uh, you know respire and uh grow with the embryo absorbing nutrients from the endosperm and <clears throat> the rest of the uh seed and using those as nutrients to fuel its growth so when the barley gets or or seed to be malted gets to about 40% moisture it be, this is done in big steeping tanks um, it begins to grow, and it uses oxygen and produces CO2 and produces heat. So then the maltster will um, run water uh, through the, the malt as it sits in its steep tanks to keep it cool and also to provide additional oxygen so that the growth cycle does not go anaerobic. Um, so it's continually then fed... Cool water to keep it cold and oxygen to allow it to grow until its growth really speeds up. And that's uh, after about two days in steep tanks, typically. After which point, uh, it's dropped down into large beds called germination beds. And there it continues to grow. Now it's not necessarily hydroponically. It's just sitting in a bed maybe two feet deep that's constantly kept turning. That cool air is passed through. To allow the seed to continue to grow. grow. Additionally, uh, moisture, the air is humidified so that the air passing through the seeds do not dry them out as they grow and occasionally water may be sprinkled over the top of the bed to keep the malt at the ideal temperature and moisture content uh, for growth.
0: And and why go through this process? I mean uh, why chemically can't you just use barley from the field? Why do you have to go through the uh, the germination process?
1: Well, you could actually use barley from the field. Um, the Barley itself has a, a good amount of some, some of the enzymes um, that are needed to convert. However, um, because there are not enough of them, it would take a very long time. Um, so, for example, if you were to try to brew a beer straight from barley instead of taking 15 minutes to convert, as malt does, it might take as long as uh, 30, 36 hours. Mm. Uh, and during that time at mashing temperatures, the mash would go sour. Uh, at 144 degrees, the malt are actually full of bacteria and funguses, so uh, they would uh, sour the mash intentionally. I'm sure you've probably heard of some brewers that actually use that to their advantage. Uh, but that would happen all the time.
0: And that's a heck of a long brew day, 36 yeah, hours. Yeah, it really
1: makes for a long brew day. That's why you know people choose malt because it makes makes things easier for them. Additionally, um, during the malting process, some of the cell wall components, which are rich in beta-glucans, are broken down. Uh, the barley itself is uh, has the highest beta-glucan content of most seeds, and uh, by breaking it down through the malting process, it doesn't provide uh, problems with the separation process in the louder tone later on. Hmm. where raw barley, uh, if it's used, tends to really gum things up due to those beta-glucans.
0: And and we don't want the stuck uh, sparge or the stuck laudering, for the stuck sure.
1: Stuck right. Additionally, if you use barley instead of malt, you don't have the same amount of soluble nitrogen and free amino nitrogen. Uh, the proteins are also, uh, be- they begin to break down during the malting process. So that... um the wort that's created from malt has a higher f a n content than what you would get from barley, and thus there's plenty of available nutrients for your yeast.
0: Do you know a bit of the history of of how this evolved? i mean how, how did people come up with this uh, this malting process?
1: Well, there's various stories that I've heard i don't um, I'm not really sure how it got uh, fully commercialized to the point where it is today. It was obviously done through baby steps. Um, there's theories about grain being stored and rained on and uh naturally sprouting and then uh you know uh, people cooking that and it becoming sweet and them enjoying it and it's spoiling to become beer um, there's also theories about people who have taken bread and left it in the rain and that's become the first first beer but uh early on in the process people realized that just by trial and error that Sprouting or malting, in essence, uh, really allowed the process to occur much quicker.
0: So pick us up on a process. Where are we? We've we've gone through some the germination, and and we're getting into uh, where the the grain is in beds, and it's and it's being uh, encouraged to sprout further. So so pick us up uh, and uh, take us uh, on with the process.
1: Okay. Well, two days into the malting process, we're through steeping and we're into germination. That's where the the Uh, grain has chitted, that is, it has started to actually show a sprout, and it's starting to grow. Uh, Now, germination typically lasts between four and five days for most malted grains. During that time, uh, both a root and a shoot will begin to grow out of the malted seed. Mostly the roots grow, though. Um, they're, they they can grow over a four day process to be almost uh, an inch and a half to two inches long.
0: Wow, so that's a substantial uh, that's a substantial root.
1: Yep, uh, and you get a little bit of a, a shoot coming out the front side too. At this time, then you know the starch is broken down, the protein's broken down, all the beta glucan has been removed, and the seed is rapidly making enzymes to degrade the starch for its for its future growth. This is a real boon for the brewer, of course. Now, um, and this is the point where he would like to maybe use that product, or it's ready to be—it's got enough enzymatic power, um, and the beta glucans are sufficiently degraded that it would be ready to be used to brew beer.
0: So the the plant was making these enzymes for its own use of breaking down starches into sugars for it to to make the plant, essentially, right?
1: That's right. It's almost like you're 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 making it work for you. Um, however, the the seed itself, when it's wet. Um, it doesn't store very well. Uh, if we tried to ship it to brewers, it would continue to grow, and uh, it would actually begin to go go rotten and sour if it isn't kept cool and constantly turning. So we need a way to stabilize that seed so that we can store it in silos and, uh, and ship it. And so that's where the next stage comes in, which is the kilning process. And this is really just a process of drying the seed out. Uh, the seeds are again, they're transferred out of the germination beds and they're transferred into another long, shallow vessel where they form beds, which again, almost like a louder ton, are very porous so that hot air is blown through the seeds, uh, the sprouted seeds. And additionally, they they are also turned as they're in the germination beds to keep, uh, keep even temperatures and even moisture content throughout the process. Now, over about uh, a course of 24 hours, possibly, the grain is dried from a 40% moisture content down to about uh, 5% moisture content, at which point it becomes a shelf-stable malted product. Now, during this time, it also picks up a really agreeable flavor. If you've ever eaten sprouts, uh, you know, at your local store, you know they taste kind of uh, you know, green, grassy, um, they don't really, they don't taste like malt. Mm-hmm. And it's the drying process and how that's controlled that changes that flavor from what it would be in a, a raw or, or growing seed to the pleasant flavor of malt. And it's actually quite a challenge to um, dry it out. It must be dried out very carefully. The enzymes are actually very temperature sensitive. And they can be wiped out by too high of a heating temperature. So that initially during the drying process, uh, they're dried with very low temperature relative air, maybe 120 degree Fahrenheit, until the moisture content gets down. Once the moisture content gets down to about 12 to 15 percent, there's not as much water available, and the enzymes are stabilized by that lack of water. Then the heat is turned up, you know, to you know, uh, upwards of 200 degrees to finish the drying process but because of a lower moisture content the enzymes are stable it's at these higher temperatures that malt really develops its characteristic flavor
0: and then uh, at this point uh, if it's a base malt I guess you can you if you're an all-grain brewer you can you can start making beer right
1: hot off the kiln if you'd like
0: (laughs) now let's talk a bit about uh uh, you know the difference between base malts and uh, specialty malts or specialty grains uh you know if you if you look at a at a bin of uh, you know black patent malt or something like that it's quite a bit darker and and you know there's a, there's a whole selection of, of varieties of uh, specialty grains to choose from Do, is that the same barley that uh, that serves as as a base malt
1: in most cases it actually is and you'll see many suppliers you know, including our company uh... even offer varieties within the specialty malts so that we offer both two row uh... and six row versions of the same types of specialty malts Hmm. uh... so we have a two row caramel and a six row caramel we have a two row chocolate malt and a six row chocolate uh... and in most cases it is uh... a product that's come through the germination process and possibly also through kilning Um, but as you mentioned there's a huge spectrum of colors and flavors To create such a wide spectrum, the maltster or specialty maltster uses uh, a variety of different all-natural, basically, heating steps to create those flavors. I'll explain a a little bit further in a moment. First off, though, I just want to distinguish between base malts and specialty malts. Uh, Normally, when we talk about base malt, there would be things like a a two-row and a six-row just regular, uh, brewer's malt. Additionally, other grains that are malted that are not made specifically to have unique colors and flavors, those are also really considered base malts. It's just that they're from a different seed. So wheat malt is considered a base malt. So is rye, and I mentioned some of the other exotics that are out there such as spelt and triticale. They're, unless they're specifically, say, Caramel malt or chocolate spelt or whatever they they are considered base malts.
0: And and what is the what's the function of a base malt? How do they work differently within the uh, within the malt or the mash or, or within the beer?
1: Well, typically your your base malt is going to be the malt that you use you know as a base for your recipe in the highest percentage, and its real role is to provide uh, some background flavor as well as the main amount of sugar that will later be used for the fermentation. So a base malt, by necessity, has to have a large amount of starch and also a large amount of enzymes uh, so that it can convert uh, any of the star- its starch along with the starch of any specialty grain or adjuncts that are used additionally later on in the brewing process.
0: It's the muscle of the mash.
1: It is the muscle of the mash and it's also the, the main sugar source.
0: So then the the specialty grains or the specialty malts are there to uh, enhance flavor and color mostly then?
1: That's exactly it. Uh, you know, making beer is like making soup, and the specialty malts are what help you allow to make different stocks for your soup. You know, your base malt gives you uh, a base to work with, and then you blend in, you know, just like you'd use a chicken, a, a pork, or a beef stock, you use, you know, maybe Munich malts, caramel malts, and chocolate malts to make whatever variety of colors and flavors that you want in the finished product. How those are created is um, a quite, as I mentioned, is a quite varied and interesting process.
0: Pick out a pick out a couple of, uh, of interesting examples.
1: Maltsters use what you would call um, three main types of processes to make the special flavors. Uh, first is just controlling that kilning temperature and the, the time and the moisture content during the drying-out process of the seed. So there are a whole variety of malts that are simply made through the all-natural process of additionally uh, heating them a little bit more or at different times during the drying-out process. And those are typically called high-temp or kilned malts. Those would be malts like uh, you know, the German uh, Munich-style malts, um, things like Vienna malt and even um, pale ale malt and things uh ale malt in general they're kilned at a higher temperature and they tend to have um, slightly darker colors as well as uh bready malty or even uh biscuity type flavors to them that higher temperature kilning though uh, the conse- one of the consequences of that, other than color and flavor, is it also degrades some of the enzyme content. So that uh, kilned malts um, typically have a lower enzymatic content than a base malt.
0: So you'd have you'd have difficulty in just making a beer just from those those malts.
1: Yes, um, in some cases there is enough muscle if you were left in those malts, especially some of the lower colored ones because the color is basically an indicator of, you know, how aggressively heated they were, um, to use as a large portion of the mash, but uh, you may struggle. For things like Vienna malts or pale ale malts uh, that are maybe in a four-level color range, they're typically, they have a pretty good enzymatic content, maybe uh, like a diastatic power of about 80 versus a base malt being about, you know, 120 to 160. However, some of the higher-colored or more-flavored ones, such as the Munich malts, they may have diastatic powers only in about the 40 range. So then you're talking about one-fourth as much muscle as a normal base malt. Or in the case of some of the higher or darker-colored Munich malts, you may be looking at maybe only a 5 or a 10 DP, in which case they do not have enough muscle to self-convert. So it's important for the brewer using these high-temperature kiln malts and really, any any time they're going to use a large amount of specialty malts or a large amount of adjuncts to make sure that there is enough muscle in their beer.
0: You talked about heating as a as a, a way to produce these specialty grains. What are what are the other methods?
1: Well, uh, the next method, next to um, the class of kiln malts, are malts that are roasted. And the classic example of that would be a caramel malt. Uh, caramel malts are very very interesting. They're taken actually straight out of the germination bed and put into a big uh, drum roaster, similar to what would be used to roast coffee or cocoa beans. Hmm. And then, uh, in the case of caramel malts, they're still at 40% moisture. Um, these seeds are slowly roasted over heat, and uh, the dampers are closed to basically keep all the moisture in so that they don't dry out while they're being heated. As the kernel temperature inside the little seeds gets up to, uh, the, the gelatinization temperature of the starch, in the case of barley that's about 135 to 140, the starch gelatinizes, and then the active enzymes in there start to break the starch down. Just like a little mini brew kettle. Hmm. Okay? However, it's at such a low moisture content, you know, 40% moisture, that's like uh 60 bricks or 60 play-doh if you're a brewer um, that they uh the liquid can't escape from the seed so the starch gelatinizes, liquefies and converts just like it does in a mash vessel but it's held within the outer seed of the barley
0: so you've get, you've got a really sweet product then
1: right it actually is very sweet it's a, a converted malt almost like a little mash you know, in a seed coat, then the dampers are opened up and the heat's turned up. And now the seed is allowed to dry out and the sugars that are in there begin to caramelize uh, because the temperature is raised very high. So you end up creating sugar within a seed and then caramelizing it. And that's how caramel malts are made. That's why when you cut them in half, you'll see that their interior of them is very glassy that's an indicator of a, a true caramel malt.
0: And that's the sugars that we see inside.
1: That's right. The sugars, the starch has been converted into sugar and then actually caramelized right inside the seed. Additionally, then, the darker malts are, are produced on roasters. Again, using a slightly different, by varying the temperature, time, and moisture content, um, they are roasted to a very uh, dark color and uh, very intense flavor in, in most cases. Again, these roasters are very similar to coffee roasters or cocoa roasters. So, by controlling the moisture, just as you do in those roasted products, you can create similar flavors. Uh, roasted barley uh, oftentimes is, can be used as a coffee extender, and of course, chocolate malt tastes very much like cocoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are these are roasted at very high temperatures that are very close to the combustion temperature of the grain. You know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, four to five hundred degrees Fahrenheit. So inside these roasters, there are also ways of adding water so that, uh, basically the grains don't start on fire. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's the reason why sometimes you'll see that, uh, in the dark roasted malts, the finished moisture content may actually be higher than what you would see in a, a caramel malt. For example, roasted barley, uh, and black malt, even chocolate are typically about five and a half to six percent moisture. Um, they've obviously been roasted a lot more than a, you know, an 80 degree caramel malt, which might be four percent. That extra moisture is moisture that was added near the end to keep them from bursting into flames.
0: It sounds like there's a lot of finesse in uh, in producing these specialty malts.
1: There is. It's uh, it's just as much an art as uh, brewing is in that. Uh, you're working with a natural product whose properties vary uh, from batch to batch, and you're trying to make a consistent end product. And there, um, there's not a lot of uh, inline automation that can necessarily tell you what to do. Um, so it goes very much on feel and and on look.
0: Does that round up uh, the discussion on specialty malts?
1: There is actually uh, a couple other sp- what are called special process malts. Um, that go through additional processing. Um, again, you look at the, the spectrum of different varieties, especially malt salsa. There are you know, well over 50 uh, standard different varieties, beyond just caramels and chocolates and high-temperature ki- uh, kiln malts. You've also got um, some malts which go through other sorts of processing. For example, you've got roasted barley and black barley, and those are actually seeds that are brought in that aren't, aren't run through the malting process. However, they are just dry-roasted. Then you've got uh, malts. Uh, they may be called special roasts or extra specials um, or malts that are called things like biscuit malts. And these malts are actually double-processed or specially processed so that they may be first be germinated and then kilned, and then we take a finished kilned malt and dry-roast it in the roaster.
0: So it it, it sounds like... There's a lot more to the malting process and the uh, the specialty malting process than probably 90% of the uh, brewers out there know. Uh, you know, so maybe maybe in the past half hour we've uh, given at least a peek into the process enough to give uh, people a better appreciation of uh, you know the next time they go to their homebrew shop and scoop out uh, you know a few pounds of the of a grain that they'll think a little bit about uh guys like you Bob Hansen back at Brees uh Malted Ingredients Company who are who are keeping their eye on uh, on the process.
1: It's really neat uh to be a brewer working at the uh, malting company and to be able to see the complete process from seed to glass and understand that uh it's an art all the way all the way through. And it's nice to to be able to uh to share that information.
0: We appreciate Bob Hansen of Brees Malt and Ingredients Company for taking time to talk with us. Next week, we continue our talk with Bob as he tells us how malt extract is made. And he gives us some tips on how to buy the best quality malt extracts and how to preserve their quality over time. I want to say a special howdy to Russ from Boston and Casey from Salem Springs right here in northwest Arkansas. Russ and Casey both wrote very uplifting notes and I always appreciate good email and uh, I'd appreciate bad email too if it helped us out uh, in improving the show. And uh, also howdy to Jim in Springfield, Virginia, who is just getting started in home brewing. Good luck, Jim, and be sure to let us know how you're going and let us know if you have any questions along the way. Now, don't forget, if you want to drop us a line, we'd be happy to hear from you. If you have brewing questions, show suggestions, or just want to say hey, write to james at basicbrewing.com, or just fill out the contact form on basicbrewing.com. And while you're there, you can check out our DVD, Basic Brewing, Introduction to Extract Home Brewing. You can see a listing of the fine folks across the country who sell our DVD, and if there isn't a vendor in your area, you can order it online. Well, that's all until next week. Until then... Thanks for listening. I'm James Spencer, production help for Basic Brewing Radio, and our website is provided by Kelly Donson. Basic Brewing Radio is a production of Active Voicing. We'll talk to you next time. So long.